We are at the third Sunday of Advent. We lit the pink candle, the shepherd candle. If I was one of those shepherds, I'd be a little ticked off that they made my candle the pink one. But I I didn't set the colors for the candles, so... William Carey, you may know that name, he was a missionary to India, and he's actually known as the father of modern missions. He just up and went to India when he knew it wasn't safe, when he knew he might not have an effective ministry, but he went faithfully anyway because God called him there. This man, though, William Carey, was not a seminary-educated Man, He wasn't of the clergy. He didn't have his doctorate. William Carey spent his early years as a cobbler. He mended shoes, shoes that were broken, shoes that needed fixed. And yet this cobbler who didn't have the formal training of seminary became one of the greatest linguists the church has ever known. It's reported that Carey translated the Bible into as many as 24 different Indian languages. But when he first went to India, because he wasn't a trained clergy, he wasn't one of the well-known men of God, he was looked down on that he was just a cobbler. Who are you to go to think that you can have any success or impact? Many disliked him and even looked on him with contempt. At one particular dinner party, a distinguished guest who was there eating tried to humiliate William Carey by saying with a loud voice, I suppose, Mr. Carey, you once worked as a shoemaker. And Carey, in his humble way, responded, No, your lordship, not as a shoemaker, only a cobbler. Carrie didn't claim to make shoes, but only to fix them. What a humble and lowly response from a humble and lowly man, and yet a man that God called and did great things through. And you know what? The God that we serve, Jehovah, Yahweh, has a habit of calling and using lowly and humble people like William Carey. And it was no different at the birth of his son when he called shepherds. Shepherds! To be the first to hear the announcement of the birth of his son, to go to see him and to worship him. Can you believe that? That is the God we serve. And my friends, this morning, that gives me a lot of hope. A lot of confidence and assurance that my God can use somebody, somebody, someone, who perhaps no one else thinks can be used. Someone else who the world looks on as worthless trash, undesirable. And if you're like me, you've felt that way before. But be encouraged. He visited the shepherds on that first Christmas morning. 
And church, this morning, if you're ready, if you're willing, He will visit you as well. I want to read the story that we've read already again. Luke chapter 2, if you'll turn there with me, it'll be up here on the screen as well. Luke chapter 2, verses 8 through 14. And if you'll stand with me this morning, if you can, would you follow, follow along as I read that passage? And Luke writes, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Please be seated. God came to shepherds to announce the birth of his son. He didn't go anywhere else. And so the question that we are left with when we think about this story, this crazy, unexpected story is what are God's prerequisites? What does God look at when he chooses whom he will use? Knowing that he would go to shepherds, His prerequisites, what he looks at, are far from what we would use to decide who to use, who to deliver this all-important message. And so this morning, I want to look at five things that God doesn't look at, that the world does, for our encouragement, and so that we might learn to see others through his eyes by his perspective. The first thing that God does not look at when he chooses whom he will use is God does not look at a person's position in life. If you think about it, the angel didn't come to King Herod. He didn't come to Caesar. He didn't come to Tiberius or any other government official. He didn't come to the Pharisees, the Sadducees, the priests, or the rabbis. He didn't come to the religious or the political elite. He didn't come to the celebrities, the well-known, or the wealthy. God sent His angel to shepherds. And so we see in that that God uses the lowly. God uses the lowly. Are you encouraged by that this morning? If we look at Scripture, this isn't just a one-time occurrence where God was trying to make a point. God does this all throughout the Bible. It seems that many of those whom God used were field workers just like the shepherds. Now, maybe this is a little bit of an unfair illustration because this was an agricultural society. So a lot of people were farmers, worked in the fields, were shepherds. 
But in this case, we know there were others that he could have gone to. There were the religious and political elite. We know that the shepherds were one of the lowliest positions you could have in Israel. And yet God went to them. And we know this is true all throughout Scripture. Noah, in Genesis 9.20, it says, Then Noah began farming and planted a vineyard. Where do you plant a vineyard but in a field? Abram, in Genesis 13.2, Now Abram was very rich in livestock, in silver and in gold. He took care of livestock in a field. Now, it's good to know that he didn't become rich like this until after God called him to Haran. After he was obedient. Isaac, Genesis 26, 12 through 14. Now Isaac sowed in that land and reaped in the same year a hundredfold. And the Lord blessed him. And the man became rich and continued to grow richer until he became very wealthy. For he had possessions of flocks and herds and a great household. So the Philistines envied him once again. Not until after he was obedient and faithful. Not that that always brings riches. God blesses in different ways. But Isaac was a field worker. Or what about Jacob? In Genesis 30, verse 31. And so he said, what shall I give you? And Jacob said, you shall not give me anything. If you will do this one thing for me, I will again pasture and keep your flock. What about Moses, who would lead God's people out of Egypt to his promised land in Exodus 3, 1 and 2. Now Moses was pasturing the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the west side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a blazing fire from the midst of a bush. And he looked and behold, the bush was burning with fire, yet the bush was not consumed. You'll notice that God didn't come to Moses when he was sitting in Pharaoh's house in the line of leadership. God came to him when he was in a field shepherding sheep. What about David? King David, the forerunner of the Messiah, the one who would, whose lineage the Messiah would come through. In 1 Samuel 16, 11, and Samuel said to Jesse, are these all the children? And he said, there remains yet the youngest. And behold, he is tending the sheep. Then Samuel said to Jesse, send and bring him, for we will not sit down until he comes here. And we know that Samuel anointed him as king over Israel. God uses the lowly. God calls the shepherds, the farmers, the janitors. He called me, some nobody in Missouri who didn't, didn't do well in speech class in college. And yet God called me and he's calling you this morning. But oftentimes, as less than rich people perhaps or when you don't have as much as someone else it's easy for us to say well God loves the the poor but he didn't like the rich very much in fact sometimes those who God has blessed tremendously and generously get a bad rap because we think just because they have more money than we do that they must not be very godly 
And that's unfair, church. We know that God blessed Abram. God blessed Isaac. God blessed Moses. God blessed Noah. In financial means to use for His purposes and His glory. And we also know that God also uses the rich and royal. Remember, who came to see Jesus sometime after the shepherds? Who was it? We see it in the Christmas story all the time. Long cape, big crowns, carrying their gifts. Who was it? The wise men. The wise men weren't poor. They weren't lowly. They were royalty. They were wealthy. And yet God brought them as well. And so the lesson is, it's not the position, whether lowly or high, that God looks at when He chooses whom to use. God is no respecter of a person's position in life. The second thing God does not look at is God does not look at a person's appearance. I got home yesterday morning about 6 o'clock from Compassion City. I laid down. I slept for about four hours. Then I got up. Katie was going to Springfield, and so I was on uh, Keep Been Alive duty. And I got up. I took a shower. But guess what I didn't do? I didn't shave. I didn't. I put. I threw on some sweats and a t-shirt. I did brush my teeth. Don't worry. But that's about it. That's all I did. No primping. I didn't. There's not a lot I can do anyway. But what little I can do, I didn't do. Because I knew I wasn't leaving the house. I probably wouldn't see anybody. And so I just scrounged around the house with my hairy neck, my unkept hair. And I think about the shepherds. They were going to be up on a mountain somewhere taking care of sheep. Sheep don't smell real good. Sheep can be kind of dirty. They'd be up there in the cold with as much wool as they could put on, so not much of them would be visible anyway. They weren't trying to impress anyone. They were trying to do their job, keep the sheep alive. That's it. They were on sheep keeping alive duty, just like I was on bin keeping alive duty. And so I don't imagine that they primped. I don't imagine they spent a lot of time looking in the mirror. I don't imagine these were, you know, Abercrombie and Fitch models. They were shepherds. They probably smelled. They probably had long beards. And God came to them. Because God doesn't look at an outward appearance. 1 Samuel 16:7, but the Lord said to Samuel, and this is in reference to David, do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature because I have rejected him. For, I'm, I'm sorry, he's not talking about David here. I think he's talking about Samuel here. For God sees not as a man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the, what? The heart. God looks at the heart. So God doesn't look at what's on the outside, the appearance, how good you look. He sees 
what's on the inside. He sees your character. He sees your intentions. He looks at your motivations, the level of your integrity. He looks at the heart. Now, if you have the same response to this as I did as I was preparing for this this week, that makes me a little nervous. Because I can, I can fix up the outside, kind of. I can, I can comb over. I can get in my wife's makeup bag and cover up some stuff. I, I don't do that, but I could. I could, I'm just saying. I can, I can untuck my shirt so that you don't see my belly. I can do a lot of things. I can wear Spanx, which, isn't that just being dishonest, seriously? No, that's okay. Wear your Spanx. Go crazy. I can dress all this up, but, but what's on the inside, I, I can't make it look better than it is. It is what it is, and God sees it all. And if you're like me, that makes me very nervous. We always say, God doesn't look at the outside. God looks on the inside. And that actually, I I think I would rather him look at the outside than the inside sometimes. I can dress up the outside. So the problem is that the Bible tells us that God does look at the heart, but the Bible also tells us the heart is deceitful above all Things. Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind and give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Now, apart from Christ, do you know what that is that we get for our ways and our deeds? It's called hell. That's what our ways and deeds deserve. And and so I want to tell you this morning, God does look at the heart. God looks at what's on the inside. That is true. And we need to make sure that that we have clean hands and pure hearts. But, But let me tell you what makes our God so good and so different from every other proclaimed God or deity out there. That when God comes to us, at least initially, it's not the conditions of our hearts that He looks at, or that's the motivation for Him coming. It's not the conditions of our hearts that causes Him to come to us, but the disposition of His own heart for us, or to us, you could say. It's the disposition of his heart, a heart of love, a heart of grace, a heart of mercy, a heart of we are his. He created us. And he wants the best for his children. So God does look at the heart and then you know what he does? He overlooks our heart and he comes to us because of his heart. Amen. God is no respecter of appearance. Also, number three, God does not look at a person's profession. God didn't send his angels to the scholars or the scientists or even the clergy. He came to shepherds. 
God came to shepherds while they were watching their sheep. God wasn't concerned about the status of their job. Now, I don't think he even came to the shepherds and said, okay, now, you guys are the... You guys are the under-shepherds. You're the boss-shepherds. So let me just talk to you. He came to all the shepherds, irrespective of their status, even as a shepherd. It wasn't their job that made the difference for God in choosing who He came to. God wasn't concerned with the status of their job. What He was concerned with is whether they were doing their job whether or not they were fulfilling their responsibility. You know, in the church, we can get jealous of others because they have a better job in the church than we do. Maybe their job comes with a little more notoriety. Maybe their job, they get to make some upper-level decisions. I don't know. I'm just, these are just illustrations. God didn't care what job the shepherds were doing. I think He cared more that they were doing the job He had given to them. They were fulfilling their responsibility. In fact, I believe that the best thing we can do in life if we want God to use us is just to do what He's called us to. And in the midst of us doing our job, He will meet us just as he did the shepherds. They were doing their job. They were tending sheep in a field at night, the Scripture tells us. And all of, all of a sudden, night, dark, turns a light. The angels appeared, and they gave the message. And the shepherds weren't doing anything special. They were just doing their job. I think it's so strange that God would use those who worked in one of the most thankless and least respected professions of that time. He used them to be the ones to whom he came to announce the birth of his son. And then they went to tell everybody else. I think the picture that I have in my mind is, and, and I... I hesitate to mention certain jobs because that will look like I'm saying that those jobs are unrespectable job. If you work, I respect you. Please know that. Maybe not if you're in the mob working, you know, or robbing banks. But if you have a legitimate legal job, I respect you. Because you work. Because you, you do what you can to get by. And I respect that. But what if... I don't know what day your trash comes, my trash, the, the, the guys come to pick up my trash, and, and I'll say when I was little, I wanted to be a trash man. They got to ride on the back of the truck. I mean, they just grab on, put one foot up there, and they're just, woo! And I wanted to do that, because that looked fun. You can ask my sister, didn't I, Kim? But imagine what, whatever morning your trash man comes, they, they come by, and he comes up, and he knocks on your door, and you open the door, and say, yes, is there, is there a problem that I... Did I do something wrong? He said, no, I just wanted to let you know that Pro- President Obama just called me. And he has a message for you. Now, what would I do? <laughs> okay. For one, he wants to talk to me, yeah, right. And he gave the message to you for me. Okay, whatever. 
Why would he call a trash man to tell me? And yet God called shepherds to tell the world about the birth of his son. Because God is no respecter of profession. Fourthly, God does not look at a person's possessions. Shepherds didn't have much. They didn't make a lot of money. They, they kept sheep and they did what they could to stay alive. They, they ate whatever they could find around. They probably had to butcher a sheep every now and then. Although most shepherds at the time were so poor, they didn't own their own sheep. They watched them for somebody else. God didn't come to the wealthy. Someone who had the means to get the message on TV, on radio, or to be able to rent a stadium to invite the world to and then to give them the message. He came to shepherds who had practically nothing. And why did he do that? It's because God didn't expect their means to match their mission. God did not expect their means to match their mission. He never expects our means to match His missions that He gives to us because our means will never match His mission. Go and make disciples of all the world. Who is able to do that? Who has the means, the, the, the money, the resources to be able to accomplish that mission? And the answer is only God does. So He didn't expect them to, he didn't expect their means to match their mission. What he expected was them to meet their mission with the means they had. To take whatever it is they did have and to say, it's yours, God, do what you want with it. And what did the shepherds have? Well, they had some time. The sheep were probably sleeping that night. They had a a voice. They spent probably a lot of their days yelling at sheep. And that was about it. And yet God used that. And He can use your means. Whatever those means are, how, no matter how small they are, you take what you have and you give it to God. That's the story of the mustard seed. If you have the faith the size of the mustard seed, you can say to that mountain, go and it'll move. It doesn't mean that, well, just, we have small faith, but, you know, if you, just, if you just exercise a little bit of faith, that's okay. What that means is if you put what faith you have in a great big God, He can multiply it. He can do great things. Not because of your faith, but because of His greatness. And then you know what God will do. He will provide The means. The loaves and the fishes. And he multiplied them and he fed 5,000 people plus. And so God is no respecter of possessions. And fifth and finally, God does not look at a person's abilities. These shepherds were not educated men. Most of them probably couldn't read. They couldn't do basic math, most likely. They could count their sheep, perhaps, but that's about it. And so it's not about your education. 
These shepherds weren't trained in teachings. They weren't trained in communication. They didn't know how to put together an, a, a dynamic, powerful message. You've got to have your story and then your three points and then your poem. They didn't know any of that stuff. They didn't have the skills to do what we think would be necessary to go out and to to be a proclaimer of God's message. They were just shepherds. And yet they were the ones that God called. God hasn't called you according to your gifting, but has gifted you according to your calling. God has not called you according to your gifting. He's gifted you according to your calling. When He calls you, once again, He will not only provide the means, He will provide the gifting, the abilities, the skills necessary. Now, you will have to hone them. You will have to work. He wants you to work hard. It doesn't come easily or overnight. But God will provide. Success is found in God's stability, not your own ability. Success is found in God's stability, not your own ability. Or if I was going to be really cute and my wife would say, that's corny. I would say, is your confidence in how you are able or is it found in the one in the stable? That's corny, isn't it? God is no respecter of talents and abilities. What does he look at? God merely looks at a person's heart and his or her potential according to what God has planned for that person. Remember what he said to Gideon when he came to Gideon? When he was going to use Gideon to defeat the Midianites? Do you remember where Gideon was? Let me ask that first. Do you remember where Gideon was? He was hiding in a wheat press. He was hiding. And God came to Gideon and he said, Mighty man of valor. And and Gideon was on the floor shaking, hiding out from the battle that was going on. And God called him a mighty man of valor, not because at that moment Gideon was being a mighty man, but because God was looking past the moment to the potential, to what he could do through Gideon. And we know the rest of that story and how God used Gideon to defeat the Midianites. And so, in closing, I just want to give you a few points of application. Did you know that besides Mary and Joseph, as far as the Bible tells us, an angel appeared to no one else except the shepherds about the birth of Jesus? They were the ones who received the heavenly message and then were expected to deliver the message to others. If we go on and read verses 17 and 18 in Luke chapter 2, it tells us that they were the first preachers of the gospel. It wasn't the king or the governor or a celebrity wasn't the priests or the preachers. It was the lowest of the low, the dirty, the smelly, the disrespected shepherds whom God chose to deliver this message to the world. How strange. And yet, 
We've seen that God is no respecter of position, appearance, profession, possessions, or abilities. God merely has a plan in mind and a way in which He desires to use each person. So the application is, don't waste your time pursuing position, appearance, profession, possession, or even abilities. But pursue with wild abandon God Himself and His call in your life. The second application is this. The shepherds recognized the message that it was indeed from God. And so the question is, will we recognize God's message when it comes to us? And I think it's because it was a quiet night. The shepherds were listening. They were awake. And they heard the message. My friends, are we giving our undivided attention to God that we might hear His message to us? Now, granted, we say, well, it's kind of not fair. I mean, they had stinking angels in the air singing. It's kind of hard to miss, and I don't get that. I don't get the writing on the wall, the angels in the sky. But it was a special occasion, was it not? It was a unique time, a unique moment in time that deserved... An angelic choir. But it was in the middle of the night that God came to them. And I think often God comes in the quiet and the still of our lives. The question is, or the trouble is, we don't get quiet and still very often, do we? Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. Now, If it's God, we know He's God. God, I know you're God. So I think the issue at stake there is not knowing that He's God, it's the being still. So that we might know, not just the information that He is God, so that we might have a a relational knowledge of Him, so that He might come and fellowship with us and communicate with us. But it won't happen unless we are still for Him. Third, after the shepherds came and saw the Savior, what does it say they did immediately? They worshipped Him. They worshipped Him. They saw He was Savior. They recognized Him as the Messiah. They realized this is the one they had been waiting for all along because God, the Father, had announced it. And they went and they got low. They bowed before the Lord of heaven and earth. Come, let us adore Him. Jimmy said it so well before the offertory. It's so easy to to focus on everything else and make Christmas about everything else. But the only thing we must do this Christmas season is come and worship Him. That's why He came. He came to be worshipped. Now, maybe not in the way that, that... People in this world are worshipped, maybe not in the way that, that kings are worshipped. He came to be worshipped in us trusting Him, in us walking with Him, in us accepting and receiving His love and grace for us, and then seeing Him as the treasure of our life. Are you worshipping Him this morning? Number four, 
We're almost done here, I promise. Verse 20 says, The shepherds returned to glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So we must worship Christ the King today as the shepherds did, and then we must go and tell it. We must go and let them know that the Messiah has come. We must honor Him and glorify Him. And in humility, go out and tell others so that they would know the peace that our Jesus has come to give. Not peace in the world. He didn't come to make people put down their guns and stop fighting, although I think that's definitely something that happens when people love Jesus, then they'll love other people. But the peace that He came to bring is not peace in our world. It's peace with God. Because of our sin, we are enemies with the Father of heaven and earth. We are at enmity with God, Ephesians tells us. And the only thing that will change that position is through Jesus Christ alone. His substitutionary atonement on the cross. In Him taking our place on a cross and dying for us, for our sins. That's the peace that Jesus came to bring. And you only know that peace if you've trusted Him as Lord and Savior. The peace is for you. The peace is for all upon whom His favor rests. And those are all who have trusted Him as their Lord and Savior. And my friends, that call today is not to the Billy Grahams of the world, even though God called Billy Graham. But Billy Graham wasn't Billy Graham when God first called him. It isn't for the seminary professors and presidents. And it's not just for me. My friends, today, that call is to you. To come and know Him, and then to go and to share about Him. That is the invitation from the lowest to the highest to every person in here this morning. The shepherds didn't delay. The scripture tells us that when the angels come to them, it says immediately they went to search for Jesus. Immediately they went to look for the Messiah. Today, among you is a Savior. His name is Christ the Lord, have you been delaying your meeting with Jesus, this very God and very man who came to die so that you could be free from sin and death, so that you might know peace with God? What is holding you back from coming to know Him and then from going to share about Him? Don't delay. He came to the shepherds and He comes to you this morning. And He says, Come. And see, this is Jesus, the Savior.